Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Dana Kaplan. She is an early childhood and social emotional awareness expert who empowers and provides accessibility and inclusivity for rich belonging in all spaces. How are you doing today, Dana? Good morning. I'm amazing. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. It's an honor and a pleasure to be able to sit down and speak with you, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you. So let's jump right in. Dana, you are, as I mentioned, an early childhood and social emotional awareness expert. You pioneered D-E-I-A-B, in action from womb to 12th grade, diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and belonging. And you also founded DEED, D-E-E-D, Developing Empathetic Education with Dana. How long have you been an early childhood and social emotional awareness expert? That's a mouthful. Holy shit. (laughs) That is a mouthful. Well, I will start, I think, my decision, my absolute decision to become an early childhood educator started when I was in kindergarten myself because of recognizing that there were spaces where I did not feel like I could access socially and emotionally. And my curiosity was exponential and it continues to be. And so my desire to create a space where I could walk into or anyone could walk into and feel like they could access and feel included was really important. And then it's as I continued on my learning journey personally, I discovered that I had various learning needs, but I had no idea what those were. And, and at the time I wasn't tested and, you know, and, and it was just in a space where my grades were great. So just keep on, on trucking. But what really confirmed my decision to become an early childhood educator was when I applied to the University of Wisconsin and they have the number one teaching school in America. And I did not get in because of a test and they were not willing to do any kind of interview. They weren't willing to do any kind of essay. They weren't willing, you know, it was a very boxed in way of getting into a program. And I felt my heart crush while also feeling the gasoline, you know, rev up and, and ignite something different that I knew had to come. And so when I, I graduated from college and majored in English. My mom was like, what are you going to do with English? And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. I really, you know, and and it was really comical because at the time I never realized how much I love to write. And that is definitely one of my biggest treats to myself and to the world is to write about life and experiences and actionable steps that we can choose to better our world. So I think the, the big icing on the cake was one day when I was, I was in between college and grad school and I was working in fashion and this family came in to have me dress them. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, all I want to do is be around kids. 
And, okay. and that's why this family kept coming into me. And they're like, hey, we, we don't want to work with anyone else. You're so amazing with our kids. We, we cannot take them anywhere. And I was like, it's not that I have a special superpower. It's that this is where my heart and soul is. Right. So I went back to grad school, started teaching in Atlanta for two years. And being one that is all about creating accessibility and inclusivity in an equitable space, I wanted to jump right into the inner city spaces of, of Atlanta, Georgia. I wanted to know what needed to be done. Not that the place was broken, but what could I help with to yeah. propel them in a new direction? I don't believe in, in walking into spaces to fix. I believe in walking into spaces to listen, to learn, and then expand myself and the space that I'm in. So, so that began the, the whole journey. And before I knew it, I was working with children that had been displaced from Katrina and my principal was unbelievably amazing and supportive and encouraged me to to take the leap and run off to New York City and then I I started working there and working with again in inner city kids but also found that it was not about working with inner city kids it was about working with all children right because in New York City everyone's in the city and in Atlanta Atlanta proper everyone's in the city but when we really look at what was the purpose what was my driving force the fuel behind my decision to focus so much on emotional awareness and social components of, of who we are it was because it doesn't matter your socioeconomic your race religion color of your skin age what have you it's we all have a core need for love, acceptance, and belonging. Right. And it doesn't matter who or where you're living. What does matter is the fact that you are seen and heard and valued. And it's completely underscored. And we, we don't focus enough on the actual social emotional development of humans. We focus more on okay, did you hit this milestone? Great, go to the next milestone. Great, go to the next milestone. Great, okay, now you're in school. Now did you do X, Y, and Z, right? And it's this complete rat race. And the importance of emotional intelligence on all of our learning and expansion is the fundamental ingredient for all of us to thrive. So that's a little piece of like how it all came together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, really, when you think about it, it's pretty basic people just want to be seen and heard and known that they're valued, as you said. And that's, those are the basic things. That's, it's not asking too much to be seen and be heard. It's not. And, you know, it's interesting too, because of all of the certifications and all of the courses that I've taken and books that I've read, the continuity behind every person wanting to be seen, heard and valued to propel them forward is the constant. You know, it can be yeah. stated in various ways. You know, it can be, yeah. um, it, it doesn't matter who the person is and it doesn't matter the title behind or in front of their name. It's really, really interesting how the consistency of science continues to prove what we all really need in order to thrive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we as humans need to learn to actively listen and be attentive, but actually listen when people speak. And I love that you brought actively listening. So as a kindergarten teacher, my heart and soul in the classroom is and will forever be kindergarten. If I were to ever go back into the classroom, that is where I will land. The ability to work with four and five-year-olds or four to six-year-olds, depending on you know what state or what place you live in, depends on the age that they enter. To help them activate their voice in such a way is one of the most profound experiences. Because not only are you helping them activate their voice, you're also helping them activate their ability to listen to learn. We are not taught how to listen to learn. 
we are not talking right. value behind listening to learning. Mm-hmm. And so what continuously set me apart from the rest of the world in, in education and continues to today, really and truly, is that I teach the ability that is within us to stop, pause, breathe, and listen. Because whatever someone is sharing, it's just as important as what you want to share. That's right. And instead of being so ready to pounce or interject or react or just get your voice out there, Let's stop and pause, immediately tell yourself, I am safe and I am enough. I'm going to listen to the person I'm engaging with, and maybe we'll actually become closer because of what they're about to share. And so it, it takes a commitment. And it is one of the reasons that I left being in the classroom. So I, I laugh that I'm a retired early childhood educator, but I am an active educator all the time. And <laughs> I am constantly curious, you know, where can we do better? It's not what is broken again, and I cannot say this enough. It is what can we do better? And one of the many things that we can do better is learning how to listen to learn because the ability behind that piece, it's more than active listening. It's really, okay, you said something that was really important. You're bothered right now, right? And so as soon as I can recognize the fact that you're bothered, that means that I am so emotionally tapped into you because my self-awareness is so high that we can actually have a rich conversation and hopefully solve a problem, hopefully feel better on the other side of the conversation, hopefully come up with some solutions to whatever's going on, right? And so it's just a beautiful segue for us to really grow our relationships. But again, as you shared, it's the active and intentional piece behind the listening. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, we're not taught to actively listen. And we should be. A friend of mine always said to me, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. (laughs) Right? Very much so, yes. So there you go. Yeah, very much so. Dana, why did you decide to focus your energy and business on working as an early childhood social emotional awareness expert? And did this journey begin with your own personal struggles as a kid growing up in the school system? Now, I know you mentioned just very, very briefly and touched on it that you had some difficulties growing up in the school system, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, a thousand percent impacted my choices and where I am today. I loved my kindergarten teacher. While she was very nurturing and kind, I could see where it was easier for her to let me sit in the classroom if I didn't feel like going out for recess, than it was actually tap into what was really going on with me. And so that, you know, in, and again, this is all reflection in the time I knew like something felt off, but I wasn't really sure as, as to what that was. Right. And then further on, I realized that because of never feeling like I belonged anywhere, just a quick backstory. I am from the deep South, Columbus, Georgia. It borders Alabama. The Chattahoochee River, if you look on a map, is the division between where I live and, and Alabama. And, you know, during the 80s and 90s, you know, it was still a space where we, color of your skin was very prominent. And it was a clear cut what was going on, right? If the color of your skin was different. Right. But what wasn't clear cut was if you did not have the same religion. And so me being Jewish in a city that I felt like I was in a very small town, but in a city, it was a struggle. You know, there, there are constant questions, constant, you know, there's a lot of anti-Semitic comments and microaggressions stated to me that one, I think that if, if we had conversations and intentional conversations, let me back up, intentional conversations on exposing 
all of the world to the collective humanity because we are such a diverse space, it would have really helped, right? And so because that was not accessible for me, it was a big piece of what launched me into creating the type of culture and, and family classroom that I did for teaching. And so because of what I did, my classroom also then became the revolving door for any child that needed a space to relax, needed a space to do their homework outside of their classroom. And keep in mind, I'm working, you know, I, I piloted and cultivated the most coveted, gifted, and talented program in New York City. So here it is. I have 25 children that are between the ages of four and six. Wow. And then I have fifth graders coming in that cannot sit in their classroom because somebody's bothering them, right? And so my classroom at any given time could have had up to, you know, 40 people in it just because of- Holy shit, 40? Going. And it wasn't a problem though, because what I had done first is created an environment with my 25 core family for them to know that we are a family. And we all have needs and they cannot always be met in, in all spaces. So if our house is a space where somebody else's needs can be met, then we're mm -hmm. going to do that because we want to make sure that everyone can learn. We want to make sure that everyone has the opportunities in the world. And we don't want certain behaviors and certain actions from others, certain conscious or unconscious biases to infringe their ability to thrive. Right. Yeah. And so for me, yes. Like to your question, yes, yes, yes. All of the components that I needed in my learning, either be small group, individual attention, differentiated learning. I mean, I'd always joke that I had ADHD as a child, but I wasn't <laughs> actually diagnosed until June of 2018. Holy so, shit, really? Right. And so when we look at that, you know, the, the doctor that I was speaking with, he's like, you know, tell me about your learning journey. And I was like, great, I'll tell you all about it. And when I tell you that I went on on so many tangents and, and showed him all like all my different resources, he's like, you do know your classic ADHD, right? And I was like, no, whatever. It's no big deal. But he's like, no, no, no. Like, this isn't a joke. Yeah. And so it's really important that we honor, you know, the invisible disabilities and that we Absolutely. figure out ways to support all of humanity, not just the ones that we can see that are clear cut problems, but the ones that we don't even know about. And so, yes, a long, very long winded, passionate, purposeful answer to your question. <laughs> Absolutely. My childhood and my learning journey impacted where I am today. So then Dana, how would you say these experiences have helped shape the Dana you are today, both personally and professionally? That is a wonderful question. For those that obviously no one can see right now, but I have a massively large cup of water that is in an orange cup because orange makes me really happy. <laughs> and when you asked that question, it brought me back to a space where it would be safe for me to continue working with children ages, you know, three to 10. That would be a safe space for me. Right. And my comfort zone, that is what I quote unquote call staying in the zone, right? And there's no fear. There's no, there's no moments of question because I know exactly what I'm doing there. And when I launched my business, my intention was to have it parallel to how I ran my classroom, where I was going to have a very diverse group of people, meaning it was literally people from all socioeconomic spaces across ages and race, religion, all the things, right? And then COVID hit. And as soon as COVID hit, I pivoted immediately to online. So I never even actually actualized my in-person workshop when I launched my business. And what I discovered was that the need for being seen, heard, and valued was so exponential because everyone was was literally, literally just trying to survive. And as I continued evolving 
working with these kids and doing workshops and watching the parents, it became very, very clear to me that we are not checking in. We're not asking, how are you? We are not stopping to pause. And stopping to pause is different from stopping, right? Right. Stopping to pause is, I'm going to check in with myself right now. Yeah. And the ability to check in with myself can only happen if I have self-awareness. But when I'm in survival mode, I have no self-awareness. My executive functioning, I always put my hand when I'm teaching about the brain, I always put it on my forehead. And you're literally, your executive functioning arena is the frontal lobe of your brain. And so it's literally shutting down when you're in survival mode. And so as I continued through COVID with all of my clients, and it became really interesting too, because I was starting to work with people internationally due to COVID. They were joining my workshops and, you know, it could be seven o'clock for them. <laughs> it was 10 o'clock for me. And it was really fascinating of all ages. And, and it was brilliant. And, and what I loved is that there is the rich desire for belonging. And we actually all belong. It is our innate gift into the world. As soon as we are conceptualized, we belong, right? And yeah. as soon as we take our first breath, we belong. But, and it's a huge, but we're not taught that belonging is your birthright. And so as I continued working through and building my business over the years, it's really come now to a point where it's time for me to step out of my zone of comfort from working just with, you know, three to 10 year olds. It's now I'm working a lot with adults to tap into what happened in your childhood that prevents you from showing up at work. What happened in your childhood that prevents you from being the parent that you want to be? And it's been a really interesting shift because it is a very uncomfortable zone for me, right? Because I'm having people go back in and really look at their, some moments in their childhood. And it's not about shame and blame. It's about honoring, reflecting, and working through so that you can reframe what happened then and not relive it. Choose to reframe, right? And choose to go in a different direction. And so for me, it's been a really big shift, a really big shift, because while I had the parents in my classroom, always active, working with adults now in this new capacity, you know, as we move through COVID on, we're not, we'll never be out of it. I don't believe we'll ever be out of it. But what I do believe is, is that as we continue to physically gather, in addition to socially gathering, we are now given the opportunities to look and and see what we really want as adults and look and see what we really want for as children and the collective. And so I think that's a big piece. Sure. As you said, it's a big shift. And anytime we step outside our comfort zone, that is a massive shift for us. Yeah. <laughs> massive. And it's getting and that's a mindset piece. It's getting your head around it and being okay. And, and getting comfortable with it, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that you said get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. We do not, as a collective, we must, must, must really dive into what does it mean to get uncomfortable and yeah. what does it mean to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Exactly. And because if we can, and as we do, right, it's not if we can, but it's more as, as we do, it is one of the most profound shifts that we can have because I have never been more uncomfortable in my entire life than I have over the past two weeks, making big changes in my business because of my dreams of providing spaces and places for all to access, which means that, no, I cannot just work with children. 
I have to work with adults. Children are not coming in with money, you know, <laughs> That's right. coming in <laughs> with these venture capitalists, but you know, children are coming in as they are with these brilliant, curious minds, you know, that, that I thrive with. And I'm discovering that I thrive equally with adults because it's so amazing to see how transformation can happen when we commit to transforming old patterns and old thoughts. It's so amazing to see how we can personally reframe our thoughts and not let old dialogues and old narratives and old core beliefs that had been generationally brought down to us. I think it's really important that we honor where we are right now and honor the uncomfort because if we try to bypass it, which I honestly can share that I have been trying, it's going to, it's going to hit you in the face. And oh, last, for sure. I mean, last night is actually like a really comical point. I'm in the process of doing a certification with a group and I was listening to one of my friends and my face was off, you know, it was a zoom call. My face is off and no one knows what I'm doing, but I'm working out. Okay, so just to give you this picture, I am on the Stairmaster and I am climbing and I am climbing and I'm climbing and it's all about fear and like, what are you doing and how are you resisting? And all of a sudden I like realized I can't breathe and my heart rate was getting up higher and higher the more I couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden I stopped and I unmuted myself and opened up my video and showed everyone where I was, no shame, and yeah. started hysterically crying on this climbing machine. And one of the people at the gym was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, yes, this is just fear finally like showing its head and not allowing me to like bypass anymore. And it became a really comical moment in time to bring levity to a space where I could have easily, you know, had an anxiety attack yeah. or I could have easily, you know, said, I'm not doing this. I'm going back into my comfort zone and like just working with kids and I'll figure it, you know, but that's not my purpose in the world. And so getting comfortable with the uncomfort of not knowing yeah. and really it's the power of surrendering to Absolutely. whatever is about to happen. And so that's really, I mean, last night was, was definitely one of those moments. And right now sharing the story with you and your audience is another moment because it's very easy for people to look at me and say, oh my God, you're a brilliant educator. You, you changed the lives, you know, you've been working in the classroom and, and you continue to reach people internationally now, but I am exactly like everyone else. Yeah. I have my own struggles. I have my own moments and we I, all do. Yeah. And we have to talk about them. That's it. That's we it. We have to talk about them. We have to get uncomfortable listening to other people's struggles, right? Because the more, sure. the more we destigmatize uncomfort, the more we dismantle societal and systemic boundaries and pressures that have been, you know, brought down to all of us around mental health and taking the leap. It's, it's not about being fearless. It's about partnering up with your fear, like really, really partnering up with your fear and saying, I know this is really scary and I'm safe and I'm not going to die. And it's, we, we have to do this. We have to make this leap because there's other people waiting for us and want our help. And that's really, I think, what it comes down to. Absolutely. Well, good for you for embracing the fear and pushing through and stepping out of your comfort zone. It's a very, very hard thing to do. So kudos to you for doing it. We should be celebrating those little wins when we do that, you know? Yes. And I definitely was celebrating. I was laughing and celebrating and good. I wanted to hide. I also wanted to hide. I'm going to full shame swapped over me. And I was like, nope, this is what I do. This is, this is not my, again, the uncomfort showing up. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. What would you say is the most rewarding part of the work that you do? 
Well, your question is probably one of my favorites. And I think it continues to circle back to when individuals find their voices in spaces and it becomes completely silent because they're speaking. And it's not about being loud. It's about courageously stepping up and using your voice in spaces where people are complicit and mm. quiet and worried about what others think. So for me, it's when any individual, regardless of the language they speak, I also want to be very clear on that because I have, I've had students come to me that, you know, speak their home language that have just, you know, they've never been exposed to English because they've yeah. only spoken their home language or the language their family chose to speak with the, you know, the support system that they have. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, it's about coming forward and using your powerful voice. And I actually, it's not just seeing it with kids. It's really and truly, it's seeing it with adults too, because I have some recent grads that are from graduate school and undergrad that have been really working on finding their voice in a space where we have a lot of growth to be had for listening to learn again. So it's really, I think that's probably my favorite. My absolute favorite is to honor and celebrate when people are using their voices. Love it. What is one of the biggest struggles you face with the work you do? That is a great question. My recent struggle that I've been experiencing is that the people that I continue to talk to that want the programming that I've created in their spaces, whether it be community centers, schools, in their businesses, it really comes down to funding. And so because emotional intelligence and DEI work is diversity, equity, inclusion is still very green in a lot of spaces. You know, it's like, hold on, wait, can we just put it under professional development and not really tell people what we're about to do so then that way we can get you in? And I'm consistently saying, no, what you're asking me to do is part of the problem. And I'm here to help shift the problem to a solution, right? So one of the many problems is that the funding behind people really wanting to commit and to put practices in action because it's a commitment. It's not, I'll do it on Monday, but forget Tuesday through Sunday. And so it's a lot of work. It's a big commitment. And I am relentless when it comes to making sure that people stick to their commitments because I want the world to be a better place for everyone coming in. Beautifully said. Do you find it hard to not bring your work home with you though? And how do you deal with that so that you do your best not to do that? That's a wonderful question. I think that when I was in the classroom, I took my work home all the time. I mean, I don't think like there was no differentiation between home and school. And interestingly, when I started my business, I created boundaries and boundaries have become the most profound form of self-love and propelled me forward in all the spaces that I wanted, that I currently am in, but also that I want to go into because it's how am I prioritizing myself? Whereas before it was every family, like I literally could not pour enough energy into the people, into my classroom and into the families that I was around. And, and it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. So now it's more of, these are my windows that I am accessible to people. These are the times If it doesn't work. Well, I'll see you next week. And it's also most important that I remind myself that if it's truly a 911 situation, they're calling an ambulance. They really don't need me. And I make sure Right. I make very, very sure that regardless of what's going on with the humans or the collective or the teams or what have you, like I set you up for success because we have had transparent communication. If in fact you have questions, no one's going to die before Monday. Right. And so it's really important that we 
honor the fact that we are all in a place where we can pick and choose how we spend our time and how we honor our own personal boundaries to really thrive and really give ourselves the, the space and grace to discover how we work and what we need to be doing. So I think that's how, that's really and truly how I keep it separate. It's hard to do when you're dealing with stuff like that, when you're, when that's your work environment. Yes. And especially when it's expected, once you, yeah. there's, there's another piece too, that I think is easily missed is the fact that when you don't have boundaries and you create boundaries, it is harder for those outside than yeah. it is for you. For sure. For and sure. it was a big shift a really, really, really big shift when I stopped responding to people at one o'clock in the morning. Oh, I'm sure. I can only imagine. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the program DEIAB that you pioneered and what was the inspiration behind creating it? So DEIAB stands for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Access, and Belonging. I did not pioneer the acronym. What I am pioneering, though, is starting from the womb to 12th grade. And the reason I state that is because we are not having the uncomfortable conversations. We're not asking the uncomfortable questions. We are not engaging in the uncomfortable scenarios. And because we are not doing, children are then going off and, you know, using language that they have no idea what it means. They're reading books that they've never heard about the history or the scenarios that are brought up to them. They are making assumptions. They are passing judgment, which ultimately judgment is self-judgment. So when they're judging others, they're really judging themselves too. Right. So there's so many components to what is happening from when the child is in the womb, from the third trimester forward, the child is recording everything. So the child is recording from the womb at the third trimester until seven years old. And all they're doing is parroting and repeating and trying to make meaning out of their own experiences. But really and truly, it's the meaning that others are infusing. And so we think a lot of times that when children get into their teens, they're like, oh, my God, teens are so terrible. But it's not that they're terrible their brains are shifting and the development allows them to start thinking on their own. And it allows them to start questioning and challenging because they don't have to agree with you anymore. They're no longer recording what you're teaching. And so it becomes a very interesting dynamic. And that's where there's a lot of misunderstood happening, misunderstanding. You know, we hear that, you know, the teen years are the hardest years, but they're really not. They don't have to be. Are we stopping and pausing and giving space to questions. Are we stopping and pausing and asking, are you okay? Are we stopping and pausing and saying, wait a second, your teacher asked what of you and how much time, right? It's like really engaging. And so, because again, full circle, the reason that I'm doing the work, the reason I became an educator, the reason that I will always be an educator is because we have educators, number one, but the whole world collectively has a responsibility to create a space that is accessible for all of us. And if I don't know how to use my voice and I don't know how to ask for help, or I don't even understand what you're telling me, how will I ever thrive? And so to start in the younger years is critical for everyone because imagine a space where anxiety is not something that goes with you your entire life so that when you walk into your first college course away from your family for the first time, you walk in confidently, you walk in with ease and grace, you're open, you ask questions, you don't censor anything, you're compassionate, right? And so these are all spaces that what I'm doing with children today and youth today, if we could start earlier, their whole trajectory would shift. 
sure. And that is my purpose. Now, as I mentioned earlier as well, you're the founder of DEED, Developing Empathetic Education with Dana. Can you tell us what DEED is all about and how it came to be? So actually, that's a great story. Today is actually the anniversary, which I'm really excited to share. Today is my two-year anniversary of launching Developing Empathetic Education with Dana. Today was actually the first live in-person workshop I did for parents under my LLC and my brand and all the things. And it was- Congratulations and happy anniversary. Thank you. And I'm really excited because when I launched Deed, it was about how I love giving back to the world. I thrive on giving back. And I thought, how can we do more deeds in the world? And so and interestingly enough, like they, my sister's friends were, were helping me come up with different names. And I was like, Dana Kaplan. And every time I Googled Dana Kaplan, like somebody came up and I was like, you know, I don't like, yes, people know who I am, but I want something to be behind what I do. I want there to be a purpose behind my name that people associate. And it made sense. So as soon as my sister called me and she's like, my girlfriend just came up with this and it stands for deed. And it makes so much sense because of what you believe in. And it just, it felt, my whole system felt like it was ignited because one of the first field trips and one of the first experiences that I ever teach about, regardless if it's now today or back in the classroom, it's about giving back into the world. And when you give back, you open up your heart and you open up your soul for infinite possibilities and opportunities. And doing so was also the foundation for how and where and when and why a lot of my students begin to talk and begin to express themselves in a way that is about self-compassion. And so if we can do deeds in the world, then we're going to bring the deeds back into ourselves. Awesome. Dana, what do you think, if any, is one of the biggest issues or things that need to change in today's education and school system? We must, must, must put an active emphasis, not just an emphasis, but an Mm -hmm. active, active, actionable emphasis on emotional intelligence, creating a space where grades are important, but the well-being of the child and the well-being of the human is the forefront of all driving forces, that we create a space that is accessible for the uncomfort. Um, And when when we actually put uncomfort, accessibility, and mental health at the forefront of all of our spaces, we will see thriving, we will experience thriving, we will witness thriving. And that would really be in my, my belief, my core belief. And because of the statistics that I have from my own classroom of how infusing emotional intelligence and only focusing on building community and culture for the first two months of school impacted the trajectory of the kids that I taught and the kids that continue to come into my classroom, even if they weren't on my roster, because their grades were impacted, their reading soared, their ability to express themselves soared, right? Everything soars when you give people and places and spaces the love and compassion and the curiosity to learn. You know, what do you think about the curriculum though? I mean, I find that when my kids were in school, they're now in their university age now, but growing up and through the elementary school system and into high school, I found that they were teaching them stuff that wasn't applicable. I think the curriculum needs to change in terms of giving them and teaching them things that they can actually use in life. A thousand percent. And that is another piece that separated. So I, it's actually pretty comical. I used the word relentless earlier. I used to think that it was a negative word and now I see it as a badge of honor. My principal used to tell me that I was relentless because I would come to her in New York City and I would say, okay, we're going on another field trip. And she's like, Dana, 
you've only been in the classroom one day this week. It's already Friday. And I'm like, it's not a problem. Not a problem. Look at what the kids are doing. Because I believe in in-person actionable experiences for real life learning, the more we allow kids to experience what they're learning, the more it becomes organic in their practice. So for example, when I taught about the beauty behind fall, right? Like when, you know, kids are learning about like looking at leaves and trees, yeah. shifting of life, right? Well, it's more than just the leaves changing colors. It's let's observe what's happening during our day. Let's observe the temperatures. Let's observe how we show up because the sun, there's less sun during the day in the fall right. winter than there is, you know? So there's so many actionable, accessible spaces that we can invite kids to learn in and give them that space. But because it's such a cookie cutter world and the act of taking kids out into the world is very scary to take a group of children into a museum or to take a group of children into any space beyond the school it can be very scary for people right you don't feel like you have control and for me that was never my bigger concern was why are we here why are we staying in the school like what is it that we need to be doing inside the classroom that we that we're unable to do outside Right. And it was literally like we took every single possible material we needed and we would go to the museum with our notebooks and our and our magnifying glasses. And, you know, and we would cover all spaces of history and science and math and writing all in this experience in one day, because learning is collective. It's intertwined and there's no isolation when you're doing authentic teaching and when you're doing when you are authentically experiencing. Right. So, yeah, learning. So yes, I agree with you. I think that not only are we not asking kids, are we not only are we not asking kids what do they really want to learn, which is mm-hmm. critical in the process of learning. For sure. Also, what else do they need in order yeah. to, to absorb and activate and bring to fruition whatever we're teaching them, right? You know, Absolutely. making a diorama is not necessarily going to bring them back into the understanding of something that happened at the Alamo, right? Yeah. Like it's really important that we give kids the accessibility. And actually, truthfully, that's how I created my program. I ask kids, what is it that you want that you're not getting? And that's actually how every single one of my workshops have been formed. And the workshop that I'm about to put out has been formed. It was literally, what do you need? What do you, what do you wish that you could have? okay, I'm going to create that for you, right? And interestingly enough, it was a consistency around all the little nuggets the kids were saying to me on how I've created my latest program. And the program is now one that is accessible for adults too, because it focuses on curiosity and we are all curious beings. Absolutely. Dana, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Oh, wow. My heart and my ability to listen to learn. Actively Um, listen. (laughs) <laughs> listening to learn. I yeah. think that I walk into spaces with curiosity, which releases any kind of judgment and biases. Of course, the conscious or an unconscious biases can surface. And I, and I am very aware when they do, or when the judgment surfaces, I'm very aware when that does happen. But I think that because I am such a curious being, I cultivate relationships, mm. lasting, sustainable relationships because it's my heart that comes in and my heart being in it's open. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? One of my favorite words. (laughs) Success truly for me is waking up with a full heart, knowing that I am doing what I am meant to be doing in the world. It is building relationships, sustaining relationships, helping the world see the unknown and do the unknown. And to follow my passions, because we 
can easily fall into the space of success is money. Yes. And for me, success is hearing people speak in uncomfortable spaces and watching them thrive because of actionable steps that I gave them and seeing them in action. So success for me is, it's visual. It really is. It's, it's seeing life in action. Love that definition. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Check your ego at the door. I did not understand it. <laughs> I did not understand it at all. I was like, what do you mean? I don't have an ego. It was actually when I piloted the Gifted and Talented program at the school that I taught at in New York City. I was solo. I was building a brand for the school, which I had no idea that that's what I was doing. I was building a space that would, I had no idea where it was going to unfold and go into. And I had one person, quote unquote, on my team that was consistently checking in with me because I could barely keep my head above water. And I was walking into school one day with a extra large coffee from Dunkin' Donuts that I will never do again because <laughs> that was just like way too much caffeine in one moment. But I remember we ran into each other and, and she was a veteran teacher and, and she looked at me and she said, how are you? And I, and I had, you know, I, I felt the tears welling up yeah. and she said, Dana, check your ego every morning at the door. This is not about you. It is about what you're bringing into the world. And if you don't bring it into the world, you are literally, literally preventing kids from thriving. She's like, you have a disservice. Yeah. She's like, you have a gift. And I think, and I check my ego a lot because the ego and fear run hand in hand. Absolutely. What would you say, Dana, is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Oh, I love this question. I love this question. Trusting myself, trusting my intuition recognizing red flags and not bypassing them, knowing that everything I need is within me. It's a tough one for us to learn. Very tough. Very tough. And I'm also, full disclosure, still working. Well, that I think that's a lifelong journey that I don't think we ever get to the end of that because it's always going to creep up, creep in. But if you can lessen the amount of times that that pops up or creeps in, then you're doing the work and and that's what matters. But yeah, I I think that's something that we continually work on throughout our lives. Yes. What's your personal motto? Oh my goodness. Dance, dance, (laughs) watching and just live, live for you. Because at the end of the day, when you're living for yourself, you are also providing space for others to live. Yeah. Be free. Yeah. I love that. It's so true though. I mean, when you do, when you, when you live for you, you're that much happier, which then spills out onto other people. And it it has that domino effect. You know, Brad, it's so interesting because when I was younger, I used to think it was selfish, right? You know, the, again, talking about core beliefs taught to you, the meaning of all the things. And I used to think that I had to make everyone else happy in order for me to be happy, but they were never happy. Right. right. Happiness was never. Continued. You cannot make someone else happy. You can't create happiness. You can't make someone happy. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And to release the responsibility of making others happy in order to responsibly make yourself happy, it is, again, another ongoing, consistent yeah. that I make to myself. Well, well, nor is it your responsibility to make other people happy. That's not your job in life. Exactly. But you know, when we think about it, as I, you know, as I share with you, like, it it goes back to like, what we're taught is on where what we're taught and who, what are our generational experiences and 
Absolutely. The people that are raising us. You know, I, I have kids now that look at me and I mean, they, I say it one time and they embody the idea that I am not responsible for your happiness. Yeah. I'm going to go outside and run around right now because I really want to. Right. Yeah. And it is so amazing to watch, you know, a five, eight, 10 year old, 12 year old say that to their parent when their parent is like, get into this house and screaming and like losing all control. And I'm like, and I'm like, and they'll say to their parents, you know, I think you need a break right now. <laughs> your happiness, your joy level is kind of low, you know, and it's like, and, and then parents are like ready to like shoot daggers at me, but I'm like, you know what? They're embodying what I'm teaching. Yeah. Because imagine how your childhood would have been if you knew that you're not responsible for everyone's happiness. That's right. I mean, your joy is dependent upon you. Yeah. Not you know, and so I think, it, again, it's one of those uncomfortable conversations that are critical for all of us to be having. And I thrive listening to it. It makes me so that it, to on, like hearing other people talk about how they create their own happiness and yeah. joy is truly a gift that will never lose its value for me. Love it. Dana, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Now or as a child? Now. And <laughs> <laughs> now. empowerment means to literally ignite the power within it's for me it's honoring your voice it's honoring your curiosity it's stepping into the light when you really want to stay in the dark and it's I think really it's knowing that whatever happens you took the risk my my belief of empowerment and failure are comparable Um, I don't believe failure is an actual act unless you don't try yeah for sure That's failure right there is not trying. Right. And so for me, the concept of failure is simply not trying. And the concept of empowerment is simply not stepping into your power. You know, like they're, they're really hand in hand. So it's, it's just being, it's honoring yourself and being who you are authentically. I love that. Igniting your power within. That's, I love it. So powerful. (laughs) Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here now. So the next grouping of questions, just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. (laughs) Oh God. Okay. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? What's your lollipop? (laughs) What was your dream job as a child? Fashion designer crossed with a kindergarten teacher. I didn't know how that was going to work, but that's an interesting combination. (laughs) (laughs) It really was. It still is. It's still a dream. How would you describe yourself in one word? Magnetic. Oh, I like that. What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics? Compassion, uh, empathetic, courageous, and probably dream catcher. (laughs) I love that dream catcher. That's beautiful. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Take the leap. Always take the leap. Take the leap into the unknown. Yes. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Time. Time, the most valuable commodity in the world. Love. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? That is not going to be one word. (laughs) (laughs) No, it could be a few words. What would I change? I would make sure that we have the funding so that I could come in and, and have uncomfortable conversations and open up spaces for people that really want to do and really want to shift our current paradigms. And I know I'm speaking my truth because my throat's on fire. So clearly, I have a lot to say. <laughs> my favorite way to unwind is? Dancing. The last book or podcast I listened to or read was? Oh my God, this is my favorite book. Everyone in the world needs this book. I've read it now five times. It's called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And it is 
one of the most beautiful books. Okay. I will have to put that one on my list. Please. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Who's the author? Charlie McKessie. Okay. M-A-C-K-E-S-Y. Okay. It's beautiful. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I could easily say the people that I know, but I think one of the driving forces behind everything I've done has been a combination of Rosa Parks and Harriet Tubman doing the uncomfortable, doing the unthinkable that is now thinkable, that is now imaginable. I think they are the the people that continue to surface whenever I'm feeling like, why am I doing this? Like, what's What's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? My family. They always surprise me. Even when (laughs) I'm like, you know, it's always a fascinating journey with family, right? Because they're your family. So you're stuck with them. That's right. Um, You can't choose your family. Right. And, and and I use that word stuck intentionally because I am truly, truly grateful for how my family continues to evolve and embrace all of my eccentricities and desires and see my purpose so powerfully in the world. And yeah, I'm just really grateful for them. Yeah. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it, Dana? The best version of me is radiating freedom and joy, speaking and doing what I love, making an impact and a legacy that is going to far surpass myself and my family that I've currently met. It is going to be a long, long legacy of creating change in the world. What is one of your favorite quotes? I would think, um, actually, I have it on my desk, so I am going to actually use this one. Okay. It's by Charles Gill. And it says, there are many wonderful things that will never be done if you do not do them. And so, so it reminds true. me every day that even, you know, when, when I want to get up from my seat from doing the work or when I, I'm about to scroll on social media or make a phone call, it's, you know, sit down and put the information out in the world. You know, let people know that your purpose is really critical to creating a safer, holistic experience for everyone. Love that quote. That's beautiful. What is one of your biggest, I don't like using the word failure, so we'll swap it out for life lessons or teachable moments. And what did you learn from it? I love that it's, you recognize it is not a failure because it has not been a failure. It has actually been the most profound life lesson. And it goes back to trust. I would dismiss red flags so often and get myself into in the same scenarios over and over, thinking that certain people were the people that I needed to be around in order to cultivate and create the spaces that I wanted, meaning for education, meaning it for business, meaning it for relationships. And when we actually start to trust our intuition, when we start to actually stop and pause and see those flags, um, everything changes. And so for me, I think that the hardship and the sadness that came along with all of the red flags has propelled me to how I'm able to sit here with you today and to be courageous and keep going. So that's, that's the key element right there is to be courageous and keep pushing and keep going. Yeah. Because you know, you never know how close you are to leveling up, to hitting that next level, to moving forward and, and going on. I love that you mentioned level up. I have a friend that, that she and I have been speaking a lot about the concept of leveling up. And you think that once you've leveled up, you know, how much more can you go? And I think that's the beauty of self-expression and self and actionable self-awareness yeah. is giving yourself the space and grace to continue leveling up. 
and continue crushing your own glass ceiling and to really be clear on, on your why. And so the more clear and, and passion that goes behind my why, the more trusting I am of my choices and, and decisions. Absolutely. Dana, if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? Oh, goodness gracious. That's a great question. Um... I think, you know, I think, I mean, the first question that popped in my head is a pressurizing question, which is so interesting. And so I'm not asking that question. I think, how will I give myself grace and space and celebrate myself and all that I continue to do? That's my question. How will I celebrate me? Okay. Answer Um, that question. I think just actually saying it out loud and not feeling like I'm bragging and not feeling like I have to shy away from all that I have accomplished. And that I continue to accomplish and the lives that I'm impacting and will impact. So I think just giving me the gift to say the question out loud is a celebration in itself. We need to do more of that. Celebrate ourselves and celebrate the small wins, not just the big ones, but the small ones too. Because those are important. Those are the stepping stones to the big ones. They're huge. You know, it could have been very easy. I kept thinking about December 16th. What's going on on December 16th? And I was like, oh my God, I must bypass my own anniversary. Like, yeah, there you like, go. A small little, like, this is a small, small moment in time right now, but it, it will be a massive moment in time years to come. And so it's really important that we remember these small moments because it's the small ones that add and create the biggest. Absolutely. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? You're enough. That's an important one for sure. There's nothing to prove. Lastly, Dana, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say? Be your most authentic, proud, positive self in the world and always use your voice because standing up to sit down is so much more powerful than just sitting. Love it. Thank you so much, Dana, for taking the time to be here today and share your wisdom and knowledge, your journey, your story. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and thank you for sharing it. And I am so honored and happy to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you. I'm so grateful that not only that we were connected, but what you're doing in the world. I think that your mission is giving so many of us spaces to activate the uncomfortable. And so I celebrate you and I celebrate all the work that you're doing for all of us. So thank you. Well, thank you. That truly means more than I could ever express to you in words. That that's that means a lot. It's nice to hear that the work I'm doing is resonating and it is having impact and it is appreciated because there's no real ruler to measure that for me with this whole platform. So that that is the only way I know is hearing from the women that are part of the community that it is having an impact. So thank you very much for sharing that. That means more than you could know to me to hear that. So thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. I mean, every word. I really, I, I do. My hope is that people feel the same and experience the same ahas and joys or even more listening yeah. to the people you bring and the messages that you're bringing out to the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It is my pleasure and my honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dana Kaplan. She is an early childhood and social emotional awareness expert who empowers and provides accessibility and inclusivity for rich belongings in all spaces. Thanks so much, Dana. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. Have a gorgeous day, you guys. 
Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.